to another episode of Miserable and Reckless, bringing you unfiltered fans on sports, music, culture, and all things the South. I'm Logan, sitting here with Morgan, Dustin, and Ryan. Be sure to give us five stars and a great review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, and Stitcher. And in the description of that podcast, there is a link that says click here to leave us a voicemail. Click that uh, link, take you to uh, speakpipe.com slash coldcans. Click the button, tell us what you want us to hear. We'll play it on the podcast and we'll likely respond live on the air. Um, be sure to check out the website, miserable-reckless.com for blog content and merch. Brand new tailgate season, the ACC basketball football podcast that Jordan and I do. Uh, one of the sister pods, as we like to say around here. We have brand new hats for that that just came out. Um, available on the website on miserable-reckless.com slash shop. All right, moving to the good, the bad, and the ugly. Dustin, start things off this week. All right. Uh, I think we're going to keep it all college basketball this week. No surprise, time of the year. Um, first one, want to talk records. The uh, something that I've been sort of half paying attention to in college basketball um, is over at, down at Detroit Mercy. There's a gentleman, uh, Antoine Davis, who is 26 points away from breaking Pistol Pete Maverick's uh, all-time scoring record for college basketball. It's a little context there, you know. Pistol Pete paid th- played three years. Davis get, had a free year with the COVID uh, fifth year that a lot of all the players have basically taken advantage of. They haven't gone pro, but it's still a hell of a feat. Um, apparently, he's only seven three pointers away from um, the all time three pointer record in a season, as well, um, and he has a couple other. Uh, records that are he's either broken or, or chased. Either way, context being what it is, it's still a hell of a feat to score that many points in college basketball um, at any level. Um, it's cool to have Pistol Pete kind of brought back up in conversation and college basketball circles again. Um, if you don't know much history about him, it's worth spending a little time. I read a book as a kid and I just, it was one of my favorite books. Um, he has a great story. He was a man who loved basketball. Um, so I, I think it's a really cool storyline. I hope it gets a little attention. Um, like I said, he's 26 points away. And uh, it's kind of it's good for him. I th- I believe I, I saw they retired his jersey already at, at Detroit Mercy. So he's not even finished playing and they put it up in the rafters. So that might be the first time ever that's happened. Um Keep continuing on uh, records. We can keep going on records. Uh, Duke sixteen and zero at home. Our house. Nobody uh, has defeated Duke at home this year. It's always Duke always does well at home. But this is the first time, nineteenth time in history, that they've gone undefeated at home. First time since 2013, 2014. Um, and it also marks the first time that a first-year head coach in the ACC has gone undefeated at home in his very first season. So, all really cool feats. Uh, love that that happened. This team has gotten a lot better as the year's gone on, which I think is a credit to uh, Shire Hire, as we like to have fun with on this podcast, which kind of leads me to my other good. I, I think. As the year has gone on, this team has gotten a lot better, and I think John Shire and the staff at Duke deserve a lot of credit for that. 
Um, you've, they started with the sixth youngest team in the power six. Um, one legitimate player from last year came back and was on this roster and they completely filled it again. I've said this throughout this season. Don't cry for John Shire. He has plenty of talent, but it still takes a lot of work to take young players and players who have never played together and get them to play well together. Um, they've gotten better as the season's gone on. They played defense well and rebounded well from day one, which is quite a feat because a lot of these young teams in the past 10 years have not done that. He deserves a few votes on that ACC Coach of the Year ballot. Um, I imagine somebody like Jeff Capel is probably going to get it um, and probably, in my opinion, deservedly so from expectations to what they've done this year. Um, but uh, he deserves a lot of credit for what he's done, and so I'm going to throw some out there for it. And then my bonus is uh, – I know we're going to talk a little ACC tournament coming forward, but just want to say, guys, how much do you think the ACC is pulling for Duke to end up at the five seed because they still have a chance of cracking the top four for the double bye so that they can have all four North Carolina schools playing on Wednesday in the tournament and be able to sell that and sell those tickets because it would be a huge day for the tournament uh, to have Carolina State, Duke, and Wake all playing on the same day. So I'm not saying that there's going to be some shady calls coming in Chapel Hill at the end of the week or anything, but going to have to keep an eye out for it. If you wear blue in the ACC, you can't talk about shady calls. Oh, boy. I knew somebody was going to complain about uh, not being able to play defense. Yeah, Pittsburgh. They wear blue, right? Yeah, Virginia. <laughs> UVA does wear blue from time to time. Hell, I think even uh, Florida State does. Oh, they, they're they, <laughs> they break out that like weird, like blue uniform. I turn it on one day, and I'm like, "What? What the hell is this?" I think it has to do with the chief of the Seminoles or something like that, the Rock or something. I don't. I don't I'm know. sure there's a good reason, but no one thinks blue when they think Florida State. No. So it's weird. That's all I'm saying. I, but I'm sure there's a perfectly good reason for it. It's just I'm not going to spend the time to figure it out. Oh. <laughs> all right. Well, Ryan, good, the bad, and the ugly. All right. Speaking of Florida State and the Carolina blue uniform, um, roundabout last time we spoke, uh, we were being told about the net rankings. Probably, probably more on that later. Um, and, uh, well, Carolina was doomed. The good ship, um, Hubert, was going down in flames. Um, everything was terrible. Uh, well, it seems that the guys who went to the national championship game last year decided to wait until literally the last possible second uh, to try and <laughs> make a run for March. Um, I joked with uh, Logan earlier. Was that earlier today? That we are the the yeah. HOA president, the HOA president of the last four in cul-de-sac. So uh, the uh, NC NC State is apparently on their way to uh, NC State is apparently on their way to try and move in uh, to the last four out. And um, <laughs> I'm not sure that that's going to happen. But anyways, all that to say, uh, well, Carolina won their game against Virginia. Speaking of teams that were blue and then they won their game against Florida state. Uh, 
So that leaves one game left that they were supposed to supposedly have to win out. And uh, that would be against another team that wears blue. So based on the fact that we've won the first two games against teams that wear blue in Florida State and Virginia, I can only imagine that this other game will go well. And it won't obviously be because of the players being of a national championship caliber and finally potentially waking up. It will obviously only be because of a conspiracy theory that would uh, want all of the North Carolina schools to be playing in a tournament. So, I'm asking questions. <laughs> so if you're interested in that game, I'm sure we'll speak a little bit more about it later, but it's on Saturday. So long story short, why do, why do you care? You probably don't, but um North Carolina would basically need to win out, right? So that's what everyone keeps saying. They keep not moving. They beat a number six team in the country. They didn't move. I don't know if that's the net rankings or if that's the the, the West Coast biased media or the Midwest Coast biased media or anything else. I don't know. All I know is they seem to not move. And the narr- the general narrative behind the, the boys in blue um, is that uh, the public school boys in blue is that they need to win out to get into the tournament. So, uh, and then they apparently need to win some games in the ACC tournament, which starts next week. So, so far they've done it. I'm a little annoyed. Um, if Dean, as in Dean Smith, the longtime coach of Carolina was here, I think he'd be a little annoyed, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, the whole, like, play hard all the time. Well, that was one of his three tenants. And uh, I- I'm not sure that uh, him or Roy or Hubert could really um, – that they played hard all year, um, but uh, you know they're in the uh, they're in the last uh, the last game here against Duke. So we'll see how that goes. And it's good that they're, I guess, still in the mix. Although it's a, it feels a little weird for me as a Carolina fan to say I'm glad we're still in it at the end. That's <laughs> so whatever. Um, at least they didn't like immediately crap the bed to UVA, and I would have nothing to talk about this week except for women's lacrosse. So. Um, that leads me to my bad in watching. I watch a lot of Carolina basketball games, but not everybody wants to hear about them in October. So that's why I bring them up in March for my good, bad, and the ugly, um, as opposed to giving updates on recruiting 17 months out of the year. <laughs> like someone else. <laughs> so my bad is uh, – so um, unfortunately, while we were playing UVA, um, I learned that Terry Holland – the longtime UVA coach passed away. Um, if you don't know the ACC and you're just listening to the podcast, I get it. Um, he was just a very longtime coach at uh, UVA. The the parallel there may be just to ring some other coaches' names, like if Mike Krzyzewski ended up passing away or if Roy Williams or Dean, Dean Smith passed away already. But um, Jimmy Valvano, I mean, these are the types of coaches that um, – that, Terry Holland would be considered uh, for UVA, if that makes sense. So if you say, well, why, why, why do I care? Well, he was a very, very longtime coach at UVA. He won a title with them with Ralph Sampson. Um, speaking of Dean Smith, uh, he named his dog Dean because he said his uh, his dog whined a lot. <laughs> Which I thought was funny. <laughs> they, uh, they definitely had a rivalry back in the 80s, Carolina and Virginia um, in basketball. And so I, I thought that that was a little humorous thing to pass along. Uh, Corey, Alexander, Corey Alexander let us know that he's a UVA grad and he was announcing the game. So uh, uh, he let us he let us know that. Um, that leads me to my ugly. <laughs> um, 
it's just basically generally uh, me interacting with the TV in general, and I'll keep it very brief, but here's three reasons why. The aforementioned Corey Alexander. He is a UVA grad. I know he had a rivalry with Carolina. Dude, <laughs> you're on the ACC network. You graduated from an ACC school. You are broadcasting an ACC game. At one point when they were playing Florida State, he said that Florida State was about to go on a run because Carolina was up 16 and Florida State had scored a two-point pl- uh, play coming out of the half. No less than three minutes later, they were going to break. Carolina was now up 18, and he was encouraging people to change the channel because he, nobody wants to see this kind of ugly play from Carolina. So which is it, bro? <laughs> is, it, <laughs> is it that Carolina being up 16 is in dangerous, you know, uh, uh, chances of losing their de- or, you know, giving up the lead? Or when they're up literally two points more, is it should we just turn the game off because Carolina's just playing so crappily? So that's my first one, bone to pick with the ACC Network. My second, obviously, is that we talked about the net rankings this weekend. Lo and behold, what, what was that, Friday that I turned on the TV? Saturday. And they're discussing on the nothing but net show after a lot of the basketball games, the, the net rankings and the narrative and why ACC doesn't look so good and whatever. And I was like, hmm, I've seemed to have heard this before. And uh, <laughs> not that it's an original comment, but still. And then lo and behold, to my surprise, well, I'm trying to watch some college basketball. And I know we literally just debuted this on Thursday of last week. We had the Amazon product uh, whole situation where people were asking questions and they were uh, rating things five stars and et cetera. And lo and behold, for the first time in my life, certainly not anything I knew about when I was doing my segment on this show, I see an Amazon commercial. And the Amazon commercial is an actor, and he is reading a ridiculous review for a dog poop bag that then gives it five stars and says that the dog uh, the dog bag works as as aforementioned uh, because it picks up a lot of poop. So I don't know what to make of this. All I know is that I can clearly no longer interact with the TV because I either have a problem with the announcers, the people on the uh, halftime shows and the end of game shows are saying the exact same thing we've already said earlier in the week which seems like uh, deja vu for me. And anything new or creative I come up with on this podcast is immediately uh, turned into creative fodder. So obviously I'm giving away ideas. So I can't wait to see the Florida or the field commercial that airs during the Duke Carolina game this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) One uh, one thing, Coach Holland, uh, North Carolina guy, like not the school, but the state. So, uh, just yet another connection to, as uh, Governor Roy Cooper declared, the center of the college basketball universe runs through North Carolina. So, um, anyway, I thought that was interesting. He sounded like a, I admittedly didn't know that much about him, but he, from what I read, it sounded like he was a solid dude and a hell of a coach. All right, so I'll I'll go next. Uh, my good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm going to start with a kind of a funny. Um, that I saw. So after Notre Dame beat Pitt in their uh, regular season the other night, Mike Bray, it was his, I believe his last home game at Notre Dame. And he, there's this like very, very popular college bar called linebacker lounge that he had never been to the entire time that he's been there. Well, after they beat Pitt, he decided he was going to go to the linebacker lounge. And he told him that we're closing that sucker down. Ain't no curfew tonight. Mike Bray was there, spent lots of time talking to students. He had himself a shot of whiskey, 
So <laughs> good on Mike Bray. Uh, a good career for him at Notre Dame. Uh, going out by going to the linebacker lounge with being a man of the people. As we like to say, he looks like the uncle that rolls up in his uh, Firebird and trying not to spill his driving whiskey. So he was he was ripping shots with the Notre Dame student body. <laughs> I was like, that that's that's pretty legit. <laughs> you know where that is? So like the Uh-oh. stadium is is like here, right? And I'm using my hands, so that's not helpful for the audience. And like the linebacker lounge is cata corner. So like if you like cross the main highway, it's like the closest bar. I'm trying to think of like what would be right. It's What's a bar at, at, at ECU that's like across the way? You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. it's like, it looks like the Tiger Town Tavern, except shittier. And that's the bar in Clemson. <laughs> <laughs> you can see it from the parking lot where you're like, you're tailgating. And you can see the influx of people coming over from the stadium. Like if you've ever been to Jacksonville for like Florida, Georgia or anything, there's a bar that's right next to the stadium. And you kind of got to walk down the exit ramp to get to the state. It's, it's, it's right there. It's, 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 I'm amazed he's never been. And I can guarantee you he had a, he had a shitty good time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I found that especially, pretty funny when I ran across that article, <laughs> especially Bray. He definitely did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, my next is a bad, uh, kind of piggybacking off of what we talked about in over the last couple episodes, like with just the net system being awful, the way college basketball, like I don't understand the the modern take or system they have of like picking tournament teams. Apparently um, it's now being floated about. And if this is going to happen, this is where I think that if Carolina wins on Saturday, they're in regardless of what they do in Greensboro. If they lose on Saturday, they win one game, especially if they win two games, I think they're in. The national brand recognition for a Duke or North Carolina carries a lot of weight with the committee, whether it should or shouldn't, it does. Now flip that over to the team in Raleigh and red. We should be firmly in the tournament. 12 and eight in league play this year, 22 and nine overall. Historically, as Ryan pointed out on our group chat today, that's roughly about a nine seed. All for the last like two months, we were, have been on the eight, nine line. They've now dropped us down to a 10, 11 line and saying that if we lose, on Wednesday in Greensboro, we might not make the tournament. While West Virginia from the Big 12, Big 12, disclaimer here, they are the best basketball conference this season. But they are not historically great. They are just a really good conference this year. West Virginia is below 500 in league play for the year. Like, they, they should not even be in the conversation of making the tournament. Like if you cannot win five, cannot go five hundred in league play. Don't care what league you're playing in, should not be in the tournament. But yet somehow twenty two and nine NC State is uh, verging on the bubble if they don't win on Wednesday in Greensboro. Ridiculous. So West, one of West Virginia's players. I meant to bring this up a couple weeks ago and forgot. Nice that you teed that one up for me. <laughs> one of West Virginia's players, like two weeks ago, said that or three said that the if they were in the ACC that they would uh win the league they would blow the league out they would win the league by like five games or or seven games or something like that no question like it I'll have to try to find the quote and bring it up later when we're grumbling about things but it's he would he went on record basically being like oh yeah we'd run that league if we were in that league that's what he said and I was like what a what a joker. Okay. Yeah, it's ridiculous. That's just, 
it's easy to say things when you never have a way of actually proving it. And you just like, oh, if I, it's like when how everybody, the older they get, they suddenly, you know, if you ask them, they suddenly were, were great athletes in high school. Um, <laughs> the, the further away you get from high school, the, the better you were in high school and you love to tell people about it. It's kind of the same thing here. <clears throat> but then we get to my last bad, which is a double bad. First is Jaquavion Smith. Jaquavion Smith's been at a slump. The last four or five games, the guy shooting, uh, hovering just sub 30% from the field. Like, it is awful. His problem is strictly between his ears. It's mental. They need to have the sports psychologist work with him. It's, it, normally, when a team's playing well, you don't want a week off between regular season ending and your conference uh, tournament starting. For NC State right now, it's probably a good thing. Uh, 35-point drubbing to Clemson to end the regular season, followed by a four-point loss on the road at Duke. Like, the team is not playing good basketball right now outside of DJ Burns and Jarkel Joyner. Terquavion Smith is a very important part of that offense. We lost to Duke by four, and Terquavion only had about five points in the game. He averages about 17 and a half points a game. That is, uh, you can, NC State fans, and I understand the gripe, want to complain about free throw disparity between the two in that game. The reason we lost that game was because Terquavion Smith. Like, Terquavion has an average game. We probably beat Duke on the road. It was re- reality of it, but he didn't. So, and some, some of that is, is his slump. Some of that is Tyrese Proctor's has been shutting down guards that he has been on for several games in a row now. You mean he's uh, been getting the hardest the, defensive assignment. The dirtiest player on Duke's roster, he, Tyrese Proctor. <laughs> you, you call it dirty. <laughs> he didn't shove anybody. He, he was getting ready for an in ball. You teed that and, up and didn't do anything. You teed that up for me. So again, <laughs> two things can be true at once. I'm only showing this for the guys uh, that are uh, recording with me. I'll explain for the listeners. Two things can be true at once. Terquavion Smith should not have let Tyrese Proctor get in his head. That is true. Terquavion Smith had a bad attitude that game. Also true. But another thing that is uh, simultaneously true is that under no circumstance, except for in the soft-ass society that we suddenly live in, is this a technical Uh foul. If anything, by the current rules, the flop by Tyrese Proctor is technically a foul. But I wouldn't have even said that should have been a foul call. But here we go. Uh, Tyrese Proctor, the ball hadn't even been set to be inbounded yet on the sideline. He's getting all up in uh, Terquavion's face. Terquavion, again, had a bad attitude. That is true. But Terquavion, in the most soft, limp-armed kind of way, just kind of put, like, like extends, like, dude, just get off me. Tyrese Proctor just falls to the ground, runs into DJ Burns. If you look, he reaches for his ankle. I've been hearing for years about the Duke flops. But, you know, I've been biased towards uh, Duke in a, in a very pro-Duke way over the years. I've been hearing for years about the Duke flops. Well, God knows I fucking saw it for myself here. This is, a, this is what people have been telling me for years has been a thing. Tyrese Proctor needs a, uh, an Academy Award for that acting job he had right there because there should have been no foul call on anyone here because this is just under no circumstance it would have, it was a technical foul. Like in the fact that they went to the sideline and reviewed it for two minutes and still came back with a technical, I have no words for the awful ACC officiating that we have this year. Duke is the program that had Christian Leitner stomp on a kid in the chest and not get in any trouble in 1992. You fast forward 21 years later and a guy falls to the ground and we're, it's such a soft society that we're calling technicals on people for this. This is just, this is ludicrous. 31 years. 
Um, Thirty-one. Sorry, I'm don't. I don't do math. I do podcasts. Back oh. and to the left. Back hey, look and to the left. He's one hundred percent, one hundred percent his fault. And you, you, you half admitted it, but it's true. Look, if he if he hadn't reacted, wouldn't have been a problem. And whether you think it should be a foul, it shouldn't have been a foul. He should have been able to keep himself together. He got in his head and he reacted, and that's the problem. He should have been able to. He reacted, himself. but the reality is that doesn't mean that the foul call was a just call because it wasn't. That was not a technical foul, and anyone who's being halfway objective about it looks at that and is like, "Are you kidding me?" Like that. If any, it should have been a no call across the board, even though by the letter of the rule, that's a flop, and that oh, is currently please. a foul. He pushed him into another player, and he fell down. He didn't ground. push him into another player. The, he he fell back into a man that's two hundred and sixty five pounds. Then he falls to the ground, which grabs his, the grabs ground. his ankle, and that's grabs why his he ankle. was down on the ground. He, he grabs his ankle, starts flailing around like, "Oh, I'm so hurt." Then he gets up. Like, I'm sorry. This was a this was a old school Duke flop if I ever saw one, and the zebras called Apparently it. Apparently, you've never seen one before. So, how would you know? This is what people have been telling me for years, and well, I see it, and every, I've been a victim. Of it. Many people be, tell me. Everybody Many tries people to say. <laughs> if they're not trying, then they're not trying. I mean, you, of course I, you're going to try. You want to try and get as many free points as you can get. I agree that people traditionally have, but that's against the rules now. That's actually a foul. Every they're damn, trying to crack down damn, on this. Every damn team has a LeBron. Come on now. But <laughs> think. But that, but that doesn't change the fact that it is now against the rules. The reality is it should have been a no call, no call across the board. That's the softest-ass bullshit technical foul I've ever seen in my life. Because like I said, two things can be true at once. Terquavion had a bad attitude because he's been in a slump, and it's not a technical foul. Like, should Christian Leitner, Christian Leitner is the guy who, who stomped on a guy and got away with it in 1992. And now here we are in 2023. You're this is technical. Ridiculous. 31 years ago. <laughs> In a very That's commentary on how soft things have gotten. This you're is bringing up plays from 31 years ago to try to explain the the play that happened the other night. Whether it should or shouldn't be a foul, it it was called. He if he didn't react, it's not a foul. It's really that simple. All I know is if this Saturday that happens in the opposite favor, Dustin's going to be raising all hell on the podcast on Thursday, and everybody knows that's damn true. Well, the Duke players aren't going to react that way. So. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> okay. This is yeah. the perfect reason for us to have a podcast because this is not planned and it's it's perfect. <laughs> it's the little it's the little brother in the little brother school complaining. <laughs> Big brother school is pushing them around. It's just the perfect storm. <laughs> but that's the funny that. part. The Big Brother School didn't push them around. The Big Brother School got pushed, and then they're mad because they got in trouble for it. <laughs> Let me put it this way: today, uh, my my daughter got in trouble because she was in the bathroom uh, with th- two of her friends and they took the soap and were pouring it and making a mess all over the bathroom. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> let's say what if the, her two friends did it and she were just to not be involved and not to actually pick it up with her hands and do it. Same thing. If That's you, smart. if, if you, if you choose not to react and participate in what was clearly trying to get into his head, there's not a problem. Same thing there with her. Wouldn't have been in trouble if she hadn't gone along and let him like get into her head and be like, oh, yeah, this is fun. Let's make a mess. <laughs> so just saying, 
but that's, I, that's I, I've never problem. denied that part. The, the reality is in real life, it is, can be simultaneously true that yes, you were correct. He shouldn't have reacted in any way. He should have just stood there, but he didn't. But also the question is not whether or not it was called a technical foul. The question is, is it actually a technical foul? And the answer to that is no. Anyone that wasn't a Duke blue supporter on social media was just kind of like, okay, like, and that well, goes across the board. Though. No, no one on social media who isn't a Duke fan gives Duke credit for anything because that's how it works. No one wants to see Duke do well unless you are a Duke fan. That's just how it works. I hope that in a in a close game that happens to Duke. Uh, I'm going to laugh my ass off if they get screwed over by a, a call like this because this that was the exact this situation was, is not this going was to the momentum changing play in the game early in the game. Like it was. That's why I was so angry at Terquavion for reacting, but I was also angry at the foul call because this this was a four point swing. It was 17 to 17. Duke had just tied it up. We had been like leading. Duke hadn't even pulled a lead yet. This was a four point swing. Two free throws, and they scored on the ensuing possession and had had more of uh, the momentum of the game after that. Like in a four point game, you he has to be smarter as a player. (laughs) He has to be smarter as a player. What was the final score of the game? It was it 21 to 17. It, Do I know? It, no, well, the, the reality is the you're, you're talking about we had the ball, though. This is four points on an unnecessary uh, mistake on it. his part. Like just, in a four-point game, how ridiculous. Time, how much time was left in the game that they could have swung it back? <laughs> the momentum. <laughs> the, the difference in the game was not that, but it's a fun thing to point out when you lose. <laughs> well, I don't think that I said that. The difference in the game was this fall on Falco. I said this was the momentum swinging, and that is actually that, true. That's a that's another way of saying that that was the, he, this be was the I believe his second or third foul call. Then he sat the bench for the rest of the half. Well, he didn't. Play, he played like shit, so he needed to be on the bench because Tyrese Proctor <laughs> liked him down, and he couldn't. Y'all were better off without him on the floor. Y'all should have just given the ball to Joiner every time and let him shoot because literally he was the only that. player on the team who did who was doing well. Burns was two for 10 from the field. The whole team was like 32. Burns was not without. two for 10 from the field. Yes, he was. He, his, his points came from the line. He did not. Come oh, from- I know that you are not. I know you're talking out your ass now because he had one free throw attempt the whole game. Burns well, gets the he, Cam Newton treatment because he's 265 pounds. I saw, I saw the stats the other day. He did not shoot well. The whole team, the NC State team, if you take away the joiner shooting, Shot like thirty two percent or thirty four, something like that. Uh, well, now we're saying, oh, well, we're moving the goalpost here. You just said Burns got all his points from the line. He shot one free throw and he was zero for one. So apparently, he didn't get all his points from the line. Okay, take throw that comment out. The rest of it stands. Two things can be true at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So well, either way, how many here? points? He had thirteen points against Duke. I can't Which tell you in thirty-one his, minutes, in thirty-one minutes, and he he was six shot. of fifteen, and he was actually one of one from the line. Sorry, I was wrong. He was not over one. He was one of one from the line, but he was Sounds six like, of fifteen from the field. Sounds like two things. It's can still be not a high percentage for a guy who sits down. It's on not the wall. no, no. So, point is, the team played like shit except for Joiner, and Joiner was hot. Duke played well. Duke played well. Like, I'm not taking anything away from the way they played. They played very well. Right. Playing better than any team in the ACC right now. That's probably true. So, it's be mad about 
the the foul whether call whether it's true or not, I don't think it changes. I don't think it changes much, but whatever. We'll see. We got Carolina next. Still playing for that double buy. That's true. All right, Morgan, good, the bad, and the ugly. Oh, oh. oh that was entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Let me put my popcorn down here. Um, <laughs> I got a good, great, and awesome for this week. So good. Uh, Morgan's even... bringing out the positivity. <laughs> yeah. I don't like it, Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, there's a complaint box outside, and just write down a piece of paper. Fold, fold it up real nice and neat, shove it in there, and um, what the hell? I never check that thing anyway, so you'll y'all never see it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, um, my good, uh, even if Virginia Tech's been having a bad season, they finally um, they beat Louisville at Louisville for the first time since 1991, which is kind of cool, even but Louisville sucks. So I don't know how <laughs> much you can say about that. Um, my good, I uh, so my great crystal is on a big work trip up in New York city right now with the nets and um, got to sit in the executive suite with her, her boss at the, uh, the nets game on Tuesday and across the uh, court sitting courtside was uh, old Mr. President cigar himself. <laughs> Bill, for those that don't know Bill Clinton um, that was pretty cool of her um, and with that leads to my awesome is that daddy is in charge of daycare here since uh, since Tuesday morning so been kicking it knocking it out of the park and both kids are sleeping one woke up coughing but he's back asleep so Still doing the evening. Same bedroom thing. That's working yep, out. Still, still the same. That's right. I didn't bring that up. Last. No, I did bring that up last week. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Um, still same, same bedroom. Cool. Uh, Bridget has learned that she can um, initiate uh, a party in in the room now. She instigates Brody and gets him going. She used to just go right to sleep when she was in her own room because I guess there's nothing to do and it was dark. So hell, she's gonna go to sleep. No, now she's got a big brother in the room. She just tap the side of the crib, and he'll just start giggling and laughing. Then he'll <laughs> repeat. So it's great. So you got usually about two, almost two hours of that trying to make them go to bed, and they're in there <laughs> laughing at each other. So, looked at Crystal and said. Great idea. <laughs> you could look on great the, and awesome. What? You could look on the positive side and you could say, well, it's wonderful that they're filled with so much joy and happiness. <laughs> or you could look on the negative side and say, that this is what happens when they put people in prison. You get, get them all in the same room and then all of a sudden they all come out smarter and they come out against you. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, all right, that may have been the longest uh, good, bad, and ugly we've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. All right, so we prefaced the uh, Duke Carolina game. 
people are like, oh my goodness, do we have to hear more about Duke and Carolina? No, we're just telling you that we're an <laughs> ACC podcast. We're a Southern podcast. Sometimes we get away from that, right? So sometimes we we you just hear the stats or you just hear the net rankings suck and here's why. And we think everything west of the Mississippi has milk in it and it's terrible, right? Well, all those things are true. but It's true, right? Isn't that true? <laughs> but there's other things. There's other There's other opinions to take and there's other things that can be pointed out as well, right? So I thought I'd send this to the guys, but I guess I just sent it to Dustin, which is probably correct. As in like probably the right thing to do because the other guys are going to be like, neat, more about Duke Carolina week. Didn't you just have this like three weeks ago? (laughs) 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 So, uh, but uh, what I wanted to bring up, I I happened to be reading a book about the Duke Carolina rivalry. I didn't necessarily plan it for March, but it worked out that way because I take too long to read stuff and I read too many things at once. But um, I there's a little passage in the book that I thought was good. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but sometimes we get away from the culture or from the the southernness or whatever you want to call it of the podcast, and instead we just start to talking about our feelings and opinions. And in case you don't understand why people are able to go back and forth with their brothers or back and forth with each other for 20 minutes about it, it's because it's it's ingrained. And I know we've talked in the past that like North Carolina itself right? It's just a different state and it's in a different part of the South. And there's a whole cultural bunch of reasons we can go into because of that. Whereas they, they cheer for basketball and look at basketball, whereas the rest of the South is in the football. And you guys hear us talk for months about football and I'm not going to bore you to tears with the reasons why, but if you want to read the book on it, it's, um, uh, fight songs is the name of the book. And the author is, I want to say his last name is London. Otherwise it's English. But if you look up fight songs, um, something about like uh, uh, being raised in the side, I, I could look it up and I'll give you the thing at the end of it. But fight songs should come up, especially if you see that the author is either, his last name is either English or London. Anyways, um, this book is on the Duke Carolina uh, rivalry. And the reason why I was bringing all this up is again, it can be sports-based, but what you got to understand if you don't already inherently know it is that if you're in the South, there's a lot of things that are cultural that just bleed into sports, and there's a lot of things that are sports that just bleed into the culture. And obviously, we've got the ACC tournament coming up and everything else. There's a really big um, – help me with the word, guys. I, I don't know if excitement is the right thing, but almost – Anticipation seems cheap, but like almost a, a, an idea that something's coming home, if that makes any sense, for the fact that the ACT, ACC tournament is back in Greensboro. Um, it's been in Greensboro historically. It's kind of uh, had a dalliance up in New York City for a while. And now it's it's there's a lot of people that even if and I'm talking even like Virginia Tech, Virginia, um, Georgia Tech teams that will not as much the Hokies, but teams that have been around the ACC for a long time would, I think, agree that Greensboro is the proper home. It's 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 the geographic home. It's the proper home of the tournament. So even even just things like that, where people were uh, grew up and they were raised on it, and class either got out early or people got to watch the tournament. There's just it's 
again, it's not just, and I know that this is different around different parts of the, uh, of the U S but it's not just a sports thing or a sit around at the water cooler thing. It's, it literally is a cultural thing. You can have an argument at church about it, et cetera. So, <laughs> um, so basically the, the, the thing that made me uh, giggle a little bit and the thing that I sent to Dustin was this. It says, uh, the suburban Carolinians have an entirely different relationship with the world. They've been civilized, whereas their redneck antecedents may have cursed and grumbled and taken the Lord's name in vain or shouted for him in desperation at a late summer revival. These new suburbanites slather prayer over everything like ketchup. Now, you could say they got the condiment wrong. Maybe it's Duke's mayo. but um, they believe in a personal relationship with Jesus that makes the Lord sound like the best bank loan officer, therapist, or career counselor a guy or girl could ever have. It says the new Carolinians like to preface the word family with the definitive article the, as if family were something new and brave in this world, a political party of its own. The way they say the family makes two words reverberate together with mafioso undertones and suggests an exclusive organization prepared to eliminate all competitors. That doesn't sound like a little tongue-in-cheek uh, Southern review. I don't know what does. Um, it says, such nice, uh, well, we can skip some of this, but um, it says these days, uh, well, they're talking about how each family want is a separate nation. They want 40 acres and a mule back in the day. But these days, the Carolinians want 1.4 acres and a gleaming SUV that's as durable and a whole lot shinier. Uh, so much niceness, such family values between mega church and maneuvering decently at the office water cooler. How's a fellow or gal supposed to cut loose? What if a bad thought might cross that sweet Jesus Jesusified mind? Where is it supposed to go? And then here's where the author turns. Well, brothers and sisters, that's where basketball comes in. In a state otherwise <laughs> deprived of outlets for the vehement passions, that forbidden emotion of hatred, for instance. There is ACC basketball, a veritable festival of hatred, sanctioned and almost satisfied, uh, sorry, sanctified. And the most antagonistic relations within the ACC can be found eight miles apart between Duke and North Carolina. <laughs> so in case you want the cultural side of why this rivalry matters. <laughs> yeah, that is why. I mean, talk, talking about the outlets too, think about how many decades were. You had blue laws on Sunday. You know, oh, yeah. you couldn't you couldn't get any alcohol. You have North Carolina used to have a ton of dry counties, you know. Um smoking was pretty accepted, I guess, since it was tobacco state. But the alcohol part was was looked down upon uh for, for many years. So that's one outlet that was basically like shut off <laughs> in a lot of areas. So where do you turn your hate? I mean, it's you know. It's got to be somewhere. I I did tell told you this via text, Ryan and it, Logan. You may sort of remember this. There was a um, so when I was growing up, my grandparents were friends with uh, one of the Pentecostal churches in towns families, the the preacher and their family, and so they were you you know I mean again this is the preacher and his family and like his grown kids, not like his like twelve year old child or whatever. And they were huge Duke fans and like just avid, like, really, you know, like got all worked up about basketball. But we would go to like the football games. They would do a church trip there once a year. And I, when I was younger, me and my granddad would go and uh, it was awesome. But it was, it was very instructive as to what you were saying. 
this is the preacher's family. You know, there you you have an imagine of all of us imagine what we think the preacher and the preacher's family is like, right? But when you put them in a setting where it's Duke playing, it, most of the time we went to Duke North Carolina game. When there's Duke playing North Carolina, even in football, because it, it was youth so, day. Yeah, all the churches would so go to the game. Like, yeah, they weren't so preacher like. It was it was a little more. <laughs> Uh, a little more hate field than you might imagine. And so there's definitely something to the, like, it's got to be an outlet. Um, it's, it's burned in culturally in a lot of ways. And I just, I, when you sent me that, I immediately thought of that family and it, and I, I was just like, yes, <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. Looking back. <laughs> the name, the name of that book that I was talking about originally is fight songs. A Story of Love and Sports in a Complicated South by Ed Southern. That's his last name. I knew his last name was geographic. It wasn't English or London. It was Southern. But <laughs> he studied in London and then he came back to the South. Anyways, to go off of, to riff off of your point, he talks in that book because he's a wake grad. He talks about how the wake people were, hope I don't get this wrong, Baptist. Does that sound right? Baptist, yeah. Yeah, they were Baptists. And the, they were Baptist. Duke was Methodist. Yes. And they went to different churches and they did not like each other on days in November and March, depending on when those days were. And you could find them at different restaurants around town and everything else. And in his recollection from when he was growing up in original Wake Forest, which is in Raleigh at the time before they moved, was that uh that uh in, firmly entrenched within that triangle area was that um, they were not wanted at certain places. And if you wore the wrong thing at the grocery store on Sunday going in after church, then um, that was that was frowned upon in certain parts of town, especially if they were the parts of town that was over near the Baptist church because he was a Wake fan. So not that church has to always be immediately intertwined with everything in the South, but it does play a big role as those sports. So the way those Venn diagrams kind of intersect and then if you put food at the bottom of that Venn diagram, then you have the church basement food, and then you have the conversations in the church basement about sports, and then you have the churches and the sports not getting along together because they have slightly different variations of either the same color or the same belief. <laughs> I mean, kind of... I, I can tell you <clears throat> that the sports part, giving each other hell in church about sports is a real thing. And that our 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 mama has definitely sat in the car in the in the church parking lot after church talking about how much she didn't like so and so because of how much of an asshole they were about whatever whatever the particular thing was. So yes, <laughs> it intersects into church completely. <laughs> there was one other thing that I found hysterical that I thought you guys would appreciate. The writer of the book that I'm reading currently is a Carolina grad, and his whole goal is to try and understand why people uh, would cheer for Duke. So he goes and he talks to all the players, he talks to like Shavlik Randolph and a bunch of other people. Shavlik Randolph was a guy who came to Duke back in the early 90s. He was a North Carolinian. He was the first real big deal North Carolinian to go play at Duke. So it's interesting to him as a North Carolinian and then a North Carolina grad. To understand why a North Carolinian would break ranks, right? Because Duke was seen as an outsider's, whether or not this is true, 
Duke was seen as an outsider's place where people would, because it was a private school where people would come in and then they would try to advance themselves. Right. And so coach, coach K kind of did the same thing. He would bring players in and he would tell them, you can go to the NBA, you can do this. Now they would still play as a group. They'd still play cohesively until the one and done started, but it was all seen as this idea. Right. So it's interesting that when he writes this book, it's almost like he's trying really hard to bring himself to, to understand or to like Duke, but he can't because he does really funny stuff where he says like, uh, he says, well, I went to Duke and uh, it was different from finding coach K than it was from finding coach Smith. This is an older book because Dean Smith was still alive. He says, now Dean Smith was humbly placed in a basement underneath the dome that happened to carry his name. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> that may have been slightly biased in the way that that was written. And then he compares it with, I had to ask, uh, you know, he, you know, he just he just wandered into the Dean Dome and he just wandered down to the catacombs and found Dean and just studying in a humble office without any windows. And then when he went to go talk to uh, Coach K, he had to ask for an audience. He had to be scanned in via a scanner to his tower, Rapunzel like um, tower that he sits in that overlooks the promenade where all the minions or whatever they're called, um, you know, camp out there for him next to the sign. And I just, he was trying he very still hard. He that office. He was trying very hard to be. <laughs> but uh, it's funny you mentioned Shavlik Randolph because being local, even as a little kid, like when he committed to Duke, it was a huge deal. And you're talking about like the old school versus the new school, him breaking ranks, because a lot of people don't know this, but Shavlik Randolph was like a big time high school recruit, but his grandfather was Ronnie Shavlik, who was an all American at NC state. So like for the old timers to have Ronnie Shavlik's grandkid go play for the, the private school in Durham. Oh, it was like a big deal locally. Like they just couldn't believe, you know, cause like you said to the, it's more so for the older crowd than it is like our, our age, but it is like Duke was like breaking ranks back in the old days. Like uh, modern day Will Shipley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or Archie. Or, uh, or Josh Downs, whose dad was a all ACC running back at NC State, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Be, um, all this to say that, yes, there's a game on Saturday. It's what, at six? It's never on at like 30. 6 30. Um, but, uh, yeah, and I, I love how ESPN always does the ads with like the different colors of paint kind of coding everything or whatever. Yeah. Or if you go back in the day, I don't know. I'm pretty sure we brought it up because it's one of my favorite ads from like ever. They put the two, they inject the two rats. One has like Christian Leitner's blood and one has like Ed Coda's blood or whatever. And they inject the rats with the blood and then they put them in like the same uh, little like science. It's a, it's a commercial for Nike. They put them in like this <laughs> little like, Ter- terrarium or whatever <laughs> lab, and then all you hear is like and just like just going after <laughs> <laughs> so it was just a nike commercial a nike swoosh at the end so i don't know i mean obviously it's, it's a it's a game it's of a big, it's Go a big game i mean i remember yeah. back in 0506 um jerry allen's used to sell like tickets for you to come sit at their bar to watch the game I think Buffalo Wild Wings over there by the Walmart did the same thing. Like it was a must must see whatever, like to be out in the crowd and, and watch it on the TV. I, I didn't really see the point, but let <laughs> me rephrase it. I didn't see the point in having to go pay a bar to sit at their table 
the watch on the TV when I could just pick up beer at the store, go home and watch it on my own TV. On the local uh, news. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm not gonna pay I'm gonna pay you to let me watch TV. Like I already paid Time Warner that. Fuck you. <laughs> I I tend to agree with that. I, I often prefer to be at home as opposed to in a yeah. crowd of people somewhere. But you know, Jordan yeah. and I were talking about this game. Um, we talked about this more so on the previous matchup in February on the other show that <clears throat> it's almost kind of like in this era of of like the big companies owning a network for conferences. You kind of miss out on some of the the local flair uh, with the coverage for the game because back in the Raycom days, and if you're not from ACC country, Raycom was like a, a regional, uh, very low production quality um, <laughs> uh, TV uh broadcast thing for ACC games and it definitely carried a lot of like games from the North Carolina uh teams but WRAL always had this thing this little graphic they ran all the time battle of the blues battle of the blues they would like run that phrase into in the ground and then after the game they would show the students from either UNC or Duke grabbing one of the benches and having this m- massive bonfire and students like jumping over it and everything like it's things like that the local flavor the local flair that you don't get with ESPN doing all the coverage for the games and like the ACC network existing. Um, yes, we may have more coverage of games that are obscure these days, but there is something to be said for the old ways on, uh, on the local coverage that used to surround this game every there, single year. There, there's something like I, I, I follow for, for Duke sports. There's two or three like beat writers that I keep up with to keep up with. Like, you just get more out of it than you do from the national media. So there's two or three that I like follow up with just to kind of know like what they're talking about and what they're, it, it's just more interesting to get to, to make your point. So like when you, it's something that I get frustrated with when I'm watching ESPN throughout the year. And this, I guess this can go under grind my gears. Um, and, and I guess it has to be this way because when you put these things, you know, ESPN's national audience, most of the fans are probably casual fans. They're not people who sit around thinking and talk about this stuff like we do. But I listen to like the the things that they bring up and they say, and I'm just like dumbfounded at like the points that they like try to make. And then the like they they have like their three things or four things that they're just like they keep trying to find ways to work in. It's like someone gave them a piece of paper and they're like, all right, yeah, 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 this is it. And it's none of it's interesting, none of it's insightful. And even to some extent, you know, Jay Billis was part of this. And Jay sometimes is not interesting to listen to when he calls these games. And it's just like somebody, I I don't know. I'm a big advocate of I would much rather listen because they do this, you know, as you get to like Final Four and stuff. I'd much rather listen to like my announcers, like calling the game to like know the team well and have been like going all along with it. This is one thing I say about like MLB postseason. It's like if you watch a ton of your team on whatever network your team plays on, your announcers know that team through and through. And then they throw you into the boat with Joe Buck to listen to <laughs> the playoffs, and it's awful. And I, it's kind of the same way with this. It's like you get these national games and you get a lot of exposure, and that's great. But these announcers aren't really like your people. ACC Network is is kind of good at times. Like as much as you hate Corey Alexander, I kind of like him. Um, but oh, Durham do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
But you know, Wes is okay. I I like I only like Wes because he's been around for so long, and he kind of sure. just you know. But uh, it, Dave O'Brien's great. Actually, okay. I think he's a good. Like yeah, the G man is is the man. But um, but you get my point. It's yeah. uh, there there is some flavor loss, and that that's even, <laughs> that's true. It's a great point. It sucks that you lose that. Notice how we didn't start this by telling you that it's the 260th meeting and these are the records between the two teams. You'll get that on ESPN. We don't have to tell you that. In the last 100 games, they're only separated by four points. I mean, it's just they do it every single time. <laughs> you know, there'll be a graphic with two dots. There'll be two different colored colors. And it'll say only eight miles apart. And there'll be a graphic of a bus going one way or the other. <laughs> Uh, they, what's funny, I texted y'all about this and our Kansas friends will be interested in this because um, I was just like, this is stupid. But when KU and K-State played, they try to like copy that. They try oh. to do the like X number of miles apart and and X number of points in the last hundred meetings. But then the the all-time record was such a disparity. I was just like, why are they putting this up? If you're trying to pump up this game, this is not how to do it, guys. <laughs> slightly different colors of purple and blue <laughs> <laughs> one of the things i noticed too when you mentioned like the just the the southern influence on the acc and specifically the north carolina influence on the acc and just how it's been ingrained in the culture um you mentioned how the acc tournament's coming home in, to greensboro uh, two things on that one that I found pretty funny was Kevin Keats said in the press conference the other day that he quite likes Greensboro. Even go, he said, even though there are some coaches in our league that don't think it should be here, I kind of chuckled when I I heard him say that. But hit, like just how big, much more of a bigger deal it is here. Uh, Greensboro, for those that don't know, is the largest basketball arena in the United States. Um, it is bigger than the United Center in Chicago by uh, a little bit. But it is the biggest uh, basketball mainly arena that uh, in the entire country. The tickets, the prices for like the blocks of tickets for for this um, upcoming week is we looked the other day and they were somewhere in the 200s to, to get a ticket. Contrast that with last year when I believe it was at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. You could get tickets on Tuesday and Wednesday for eight dollars. Like that's just yep. how much bigger of a deal it is when the ACC tournament comes home to Greensboro versus going to a place that is not a natural geographical fit and it's really more Big East country than it is the ACC. And and the it's not just I mean it is obviously a a bent on a North Carolina centric thing. But Greensboro is they located in Greensboro for a geographic reason. UVA and since Tech has joined our driving distance. Clemson is driving distance. You have a ton of fan bases all compacted together, which increases the demand to want to go see this. And those fan bases aren't going to get in the car and drive to New York City. It's just not going to happen. And then uh, you may be like the even the DC one. Uh, I went to a couple games of the of the DC tournament, the most recent one, whatever year that was, and it's it was not well attended. I mean, there's just you know, it's a hassle. The hotels are expensive. Like it, it makes sense. You know, it doesn't have to be in Greensboro every year, but it should be there pretty consistently. And maybe you rotate to Charlotte and Atlanta and you kind of like go around, but 
New York and DC just don't fit the conference. And it, it seems so silly that they even go there. We may hear about this when we get to the Southern spotlight later, but there's certain things. Hopefully I'm allowed to say this appropriately. There's certain things in the South that should be left non-chain, like non-chain restaurant or non-chain hotels. There's certain, the Masters is the Masters. Would the Masters be the Masters in California? I don't know, but it's the Masters in the South, right? And I know that sometimes the South takes a, uh, an appropriate, at times, beating for not changing and for not uh, maybe moving as fast as they could in a direction that might be more profitable or might be more equitable or, or whatever, however you want to poke at anything, right? Any monolith. But at the same time, when it comes to something like this, you're absolutely correct. You could go to DC, you could go to Atlanta, you could go to uh, Charlotte, you could go to a lot of different places and you could probably do okay. And you could probably get some decent sponsorship. But at the end of the day, there's certain things that for better or worse, um, it's it's the same in NASCAR too. There's just big races, and sorry, they're not in big towns. And I don't I don't know why I I wasn't alive to make to decide on this or to help make them big races. But there's just a reason why people get together and they party in Alabama during the Talladega race. They just do. And if you want to tell them, if you want to build a track in, they, they'll never do it. But if you want to build a track in Washington D.C. and make it a big deal, it's just not going to be as big a deal as it is in Alabama. And I don't know if it's the, the amount of time that's gone by and everybody just believes it and, and, and they just never change their mind or whatever. So whether it's a, a prized restaurant or whether it's a prized delicacy or whether it's a prized sporting event like the Masters or a, a race or anything else, there's just certain things that just need to stay the way they are. And then there's other things that can undoubtedly change. And the ACC tournament being in Greensboro is probably one of those things that they can experiment with, but Chances are when the experiment's over and you kind of come back to what do they call it when it's not the experiment or the control group, <laughs> the control group being Greensboro is probably the appropriate path for the time being. I mean, when the ACC tournament is in Greensboro, <clears throat> it just means more. Oh, there you go. <laughs> they should use that as a tagline. That's a great tagline. <laughs> Notice, this is why Logan does more podcasts than me. Because Logan says in one <laughs> sentence what I took three paragraphs to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I know that people are probably like, oh, Duke Carolina, ACC. But the reality is um, we kind of are kind of seeing how things are shaping up. You know, the Duke, as, as Dustin has reminded us the last two weeks, is very much in a good spot to get that double bye. Um, I'll be pulling for them to get the double by because obviously they're when they're playing Carolina, that's a no brainer, but it would be kind of cool to see all four play on the same day, but that would entail me pulling for Carolina, which won't happen. <laughs> but, um, I, I do think that how many teams I, I meant to ask you this a few weeks ago, as of right now, how many teams do y'all think the ACC gets in the NCAA tournament? Six or seven, five tops. I think it's gonna be about five too. Go ahead, Morgan. I was going to say, I'd say six. Yeah, and, and six is possible. I think six is possible, but I think it's going to be a repeat last year. I think you're going to look, be looking at five. And I think there's going to be a couple teams there. They're going to say, oh, they were first four out last 
and then next four out. I think that's what's going to happen. Um, it's just, you know, depending on how this Duke Carolina game goes, Carolina sitting on that, that line. Um, Clemson's all season been bagged for their, right. I think what, two really bad losses and they were really bad losses, but if that's the definition of your season, that's pretty, you know, Duke's lost some bad games at home um, in in seasons against teams they never should have lost to. That doesn't define the quality of your team as the year goes on, and that's just what's so frustrating about it. Unless um, you're West Virginia. Yeah, unless you're West Virginia, you can be have a losing record and make the tournament. And, and I did find that quote. <laughs> he said that if we were in that league, talking about the ACC, we would win it by five. Like, meaning they'd be, you know, in our 20-game schedule, they would be five up on everybody. So, I guess that means they would go undefeated or some version of that. <laughs> 18 games, maybe. 18 to 20 win. That's crazy. But Now, I'm going to ask you all the same question I asked Jordan. Let's work on the assumption that uh, Duke is in the four spot, right? So, of there's two different tiers here. There's the the people playing on Wednesday, people playing on Thursday to start. We the people playing on Tuesday, zero percent chance that they're going to win the ACC tournament. I'll be really surprised if they do. So we'll ignore them for a minute. Who's the favorite of the Thursday slated teams? Assuming Duke's on the uh, the four line, and who's your dark horse from the the Thursday teams to be at the way they're playing right now to win the ACC tournament? Uh, we'll start uh, Ryan if you want to kick it off. So who's mine? Who's your favorite and your dark horse? Favorite comes from one through four, uh, and dark horse comes from the Wednesday teams who get a single buy. So I, I I really do not want to be annoying, but wouldn't the dark horse be the team that was in the national championship last year? No, I, that's what I said on tailgate season. It's when <laughs> undoubtedly the way they were pl- the way they've been shooting the last two games is Carolina out of that slate, out of that group. I mean, just in general, if, if Duke's if Duke's on the four line, it's Carolina. Okay, and then from the four. Four would be Duke, three would be Pitt or Miami, and and then it, it'd be Virginia, Miami, and Pitt, Pitt, Pitt and Duke, uh, and Duke. Right. Um, or it depends on how it shakes out. It's possible Pitt well, drops the, and Clemson gets it in, but anyway, I got the four, it, so I can pick. So I pick one. I pick Carolina as the dark horse, and then I would it would be between Virginia and Duke for me. And that's no disrespect to Miami. I think Miami, they beat us. I watched them play. I think they play well. But in March, in Greensboro, in the ACC tournament, I'm going to take either Virginia or Duke. And I will give it to Virginia because I think Virginia has been the best team all year, although they are not playing the best right now. All right, Dustin, who's your favorite and who's your dark horse? Um. I, I don't want to be I, – I hate to, to piggyback on it, but I do think if Duke's on the floor, Carolina's probably the most dangerous team on that next level as the dark horse, and especially considering the season that they had. I think that actually gives them dark horse status for once in their lives. Um, Playing with house money, am I right? Yeah, just just a bunch of house money. You know, no big deal. Just happy to be here now. in Greensboro. <laughs> yeah, just happened to have made the ACC tournament. Um, and then, it, you know, Duke's playing their best basketball, right? 
Um, will that mean they win the ACC tournament? I don't know. Um, crazy things happen, but they are playing good ball right now. Um, past eight, I think eight or nine games, they are just at another. You've seen a cohesion and and even minus the NC State game, better shooting. And uh, I, th- I think they've got a good shot at, especially if they only have to win three games, I think they got a good shot at. They have to win four, that's going to get a whole lot harder. Um, as we know, Morgan's Hokies did it last year, and then Jason Tatum, Blue Devils did it, but it's hard to win those four games in four days. Oh, yeah. All right, speaking of Morgan's Hokies, Morgan, you're the defending ACC champion coming into this. Who's your favorite? Who's your dark horse? Um, I'd probably say uh, Duke's probably my favorite. I don't know how I'll give I'll give um, uh, I'll give Tech the dark horse if they can get get their defense under control. Stop trying to hit a three pointer every single time to get the ball. Um, <laughs> By the way, America, that's what he texts us when he watches the game. Stop. Stop just shooting three. <laughs> Literally. Like, if you had to take a shot of whatever liquor you want to, every time Tech tried to shoot a three-point, <laughs> you die from alcohol poisoning. <laughs> that's true, but it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. Oh. <laughs> uh, that's, that's Damn, I don't know what was more forced, that or Dumb and Dumber too. <laughs> <laughs> the most I chuckle on the, I don't know why I'm saying this live on the podcast. The most I chuckle on the basketball text messages back and forth is when Morgan just gets mad about Virginia Tech. Because I'm like, first of all, I'm excited that you're watching it or you're actually catching some of it. Because I know you got the kids and everything else. And then second of all, it's always spot on. It's like, oh, neat. Another, it'll be like, oh, neat. Seven threes from that guy that can't shoot. <laughs> I'm like, yes. Yes. <laughs> so I'm going to stay consistent with my picks from the other show. I I think the, assuming Duke's on the four line, it's obviously Carolina is the dark horse um, coming out of that that next group. And that's strictly just because of the way they've been shooting the ball the last two games. I mean, if they were playing like they were three weeks ago, I wouldn't say that. But they've been shooting the ball very well um, as of late. And then the favorite, while I do think that you can't discount Duke, Duke's maybe a 1B because they were playing good basketball. I'm still sticking with Miami. I realize it's the the non-traditional team and in, in the traditional location for the AC tournament, but their guard play is fantastic. Isaiah Wong is a baller. Uh, K-State transfer, what's his name? Nigel Pack. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, and they've beaten, I believe, all of the top teams this year at least once. So, you know, Jim Laranega squad can't count them out. So I'm, I'm still rolling with them as my favorite going into the ACC tournament. Unless they play Florida State. Yeah. (laughs) For those that don't know, Florida State whooped them by what one or two two points, and I don't know what happened. They gave up a a Miami gave up a twenty-five point lead in basketball to Florida State. Wow. Yeah. Pretty bad. 
Well, AC tournament next week, Duke Carolina this weekend. Uh, we do have a want to give you a little sneak peek of um, a new segment. We are going to be kind of new segment that we're going to be rolling out next week. If you know that in the past, over the last couple of years, if you've been with us through 100 plus episodes so far on Miserable and Reckless, you know that we have done the Southern 64. And then last year we did the Southern 32 with 60 or no Southern 64 with 32 teams. <clears throat> we're just in time for March doing another um, kind of bracket style thing but we're getting away from you know what is the most southern this what is the most southern that and we're morgan came up with a fantastic idea because all of all of you remember if you're a sports fan the very classic this is sports center espn commercials there have Mm -hmm. been so many good ones over the years so morgan if you kind of want to give the give america a little preview of what they have to look forward to next week oh yeah i um took the time the other day and came up with about 32 of the uh, commercials we're going to put into a nice bracket and, um, you know, just some, some of the good ones like, uh, you know, um, uh, the Abby Wambach one where he's, you know, she's walking down the hallway and he has been talking with one colleague and bumps into the other one and he falls on the ground. Oh God, I won't be able to work for weeks. They're just like, (laughs) get up. You got a LT with the helmet on trying to sort them out. And it's like the guy walks in and checks as well. Yeah, none of these are mine. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, you know, we'll just, um, of course, you know, we'll each, each one will do as we did with all the other brackets. We'll, you know, go through it. And if we have to turn to the coin, you know, the coin is always just. <laughs> <laughs> but um i hope it's hope it's gonna be fun i picked a lot of the good ones so like you get uh like one of the earlier ones were in uh bobby labonte was at uh at uh at aspn and talking of rich eisen the mascot was outside doing donuts in his, in his uh, race car <laughs> <laughs> rich eisen goes out there and pays off the mascot <laughs> I'm looking forward to it because I, uh, I I used to love watching SportsCenter as a kid. And then the This Is SportsCenter commercials have been some of my favorite things from oh, back yeah. in the day. Like there's so many classics and uh, we'll we'll get into that and we'll be crowning the 2023 Miserable and Reckless best This Is SportsCenter commercial uh, this March here. And, you know, like Morgan alluded to. When there's four of us, so sometimes it results in a tie, and there's only one way to break a tie on Miserable and Reckless. That's with Dustin's pocket change that he keeps near his desk. Because the coin, <laughs> the coin is just. <laughs> and don't worry, he'll let you know what kind of coin he's flipping, what year, what type of coin, who's on it, uh, the whole nine. So next week, this is Sports Center bracket returns or debuts. Depends on how you look at it. <laughs> All right, Ryan, speaking of segments we haven't done in a while, Southern Spotlight. Let's rock and roll. Sure. I am Morgan. I'm looking forward to see which ones you end up with because <laughs> uh, it's going to be awesome. And then it'll be great to watch us like go through the, uh, the rankings and ratings. And so why is this one seated five? That's ridiculous. Like, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Because it's Duke Carolina week. We talked a lot about North Carolina. What is North Carolina known for? Say it with me. Basketball. No, wrong. Uh, Eastern North Carolina style barbecue. So we've talked in the past about Ralph's. I think we did a Southern spotlight on Skylight 
I believe we did, Skylight Inn in Aiden, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And we are also, this week, going to be talking about another famous um, North Carolina barbecue. Now, because it's Duke Carolina week, you ask, okay, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, this barbecue place is just outside of Chapel Hill in Orange County, which incidentally, if you don't know the counties, is where Chapel Hill is. Um, the name of this place is Allen and Sons. Allen and Son Barbecue. It's in Pittsfield, more or less. Um, however, make sure I'm getting this right. Pittsboro, sorry. Pittsfield is up in Massachusetts. And uh, so anyways, why is this important? Well, oftentimes um, after Carolina games, depending on uh, how the team is done, right? Um, a lot of fans will make what they call the uh, the journey to Mecca, so to speak. Hopefully that doesn't offend anybody because it's barbecue and Mecca in the same sentence. Just realize that. But um, they make the journey out to Mecca. They go to Allen and Son. Um, now it is Stubbs and Son um, because Jimmy Stubbs, the owner of Allen and Son's Barbecue in Pittsburgh, um, has uh, run that place for, geez, I guess since about 2003, I want to say. So I, I moved in 2004. That's why I'm kind of going back in time there for a second. Um, he took over the Pittsburgh location from Keith Allen, hence the name Allen and Son, who is the son of the original Allen. So if you want to go all the way back to how far this place goes, there was an original Allen. That Allen had a son. That son is Keith Allen. And then Keith Allen sold his place to Jimmy Stubbs. Now Jimmy Stubbs has a son. So now the name of the establishment is not Allen and Son anymore. It's Stubbs and Son. So if you're looking for the place in Pittsburgh and you can't find it, if you type in Allen and Sons, Stubbs and Sons comes up. Um, they're pretty much, there's a lot of things that they're known for besides their Eastern North Carolina style uh, chopped barbecue. The They got the homemade coleslaw. It's sweet for sure. A little bit spicy. Uh, perfect taste to the barbecue, but the burgers, hot dogs, um, they, all sorts of different things you can put on the side. You can take this stuff to go or you can sit there and eat it. Got a ton of different sides. We can get into that in a second. Um, they make the coleslaw every morning. So this isn't some like afterthought. Uh, a lot of people like the fries. Long story short on the fries was they tried to switch up the formula for the hand cut fries. Um, apparently this was pretty much as big of a deal as Shavlik Randolph going to somewhere where he wasn't supposed to go. Everybody had a big problem with it. So guess what? It takes Jimmy, who's the guy that owns the place, a very long time to do. But every morning he makes the hand cut homemade French fries. Um, and he is, <laughs> I like to, um, if you go to their about me on their website, you can almost hear the passive aggressiveness and the way that he put that in the about me. It, I mean, it takes me a long time, but I guess the customers like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, the sauce, the barbecue sauce is, uh, it says it's known to contain red pepper, vinegar, and butter. Although the exact recipe is a secret comes from his dad. They cook over hickory wood on the fire pit out back. Any place that has their own uh, pit out back is a uh, pretty solid place as far as I'm concerned. They start cooking at three, as in three in the morning. Uh, they make all of the 16 to 18 desserts, depending on the time of year, um, that day using his grandmother's recipes. So this is an actual family establishment. Again, nothing wrong with Bojangles, nothing wrong with, especially if they sponsor us, nothing wrong with, uh, you know, any cookout anywhere else right i'm trying to think of any other establishments but um sometimes, yeah i was gonna say sometimes you just want a uh waffle house 
but uh sometimes you just you know these chains are fine they're they're totally good um you know everybody likes a nice marriott too sometimes you just want a bed and breakfast and sometimes you want a uh a little bit of allen and son barbecue right so um trying to think of what else if you want to know what it looks like when you go there uh cinder block walls they got wood paneling to a certain extent you can see the pictures online uh they got pictures of ducks quail uh there's a famous uh largemouth bass a couple of deer heads um the owner is uh, is is a hunter so just be aware of that and uh they've got a couple other establishments too in small town north carolina um kind of in their own kind of triangle away from so one's kind of down by southern pines not in southern pines but near pinehurst ish on the way there from chapel hill and then another's kind of out towards winston-salem area i think it's stanford does that sound right does that sound like a town in between chapel hill and winston-salem sanford sanford yeah. oh yeah yeah sanford mm -hmm. okay it's down one so mm -hmm. uh, yeah so those are the three establishments they all serve the same stuff um, if you're a senior citizen, you do get a discount. Um, you can eat off the kids menu, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, they got your sweet tea, they got your stews, um, which you can get to go bulk orders, coleslaw to go bulk order, mac and cheese, gallon of tea, collards, all to go potato salad. And then you've got what I would call your normal plates, Brunswick stew, um, your chicken salad, your barbecue plate, extra large barbecue plate uh catfish hush puppies oh i guess i should mention the hush puppies that's a big deal people love those oh yeah if you're looking for a uh a barbecue place and you happen to be in the chapel hill or durham area because as we mentioned they're not that far apart <laughs> maybe they should put the graphic for espn with the bus and then the bus could skip over durham or chapel hill and it could just go right to allen and sons <laughs> <laughs> it'd be a pig yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. It's going on the barbecue trail between Allen and Son and uh, Ralph's and then Skylight. It can just travel around the country. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds pretty good to me. Back of road barbecue tour. <laughs> we just have to give the pig a tie-dye shirt when he goes to Pittsburgh because it's hippie town. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, when they open the coverage, for the record of this game on Saturday at 6.30. And they're showing you the pits at Allen and Son. And they're showing you how it's been grilled for a long period of time. And they're showing you all the food porn that they do with, right, when they're, when they're opening. And then here's some local coverage. And then they show that the, they just come swooping in over the tower. Just, just know that they stole this idea from us, okay? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> And then next week when we're watching the ACC tournament, they're like, ACC tournament returns home to Greensboro. It just means more. Uh, again, we are your the producer's favorite podcast. We supply the material a week to two weeks in advance before the big boys get it. Like a mega graphic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, for this episode of Miserable and Reckless, be sure to give us five stars and a great review and leave us a voicemail. I'm Logan sitting here with Morgan, Dustin, and Ryan. See you next time.